Hello and welcome to James Bond and Friends. I'm your host, James Page, co-founder of MI6HQ.com, MI6 Confidential Magazine and various other Bond paraphernalia. Uh, this week, we are taking another look at an unmade James Bond script of a movie we never got to see. Although, as we'll discover, maybe we got to see bits of it we just didn't know at the time. And to discuss Dalton's unmade third movie, and we'll be going to be very specific about which version of that it is in a minute, I am joined by Bill Koenig and David Lee. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Koenig. I'm webmaster of the Spy Command blog. And I'm David Lee. I run the jamesbonddossier.com website, and I am also the author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. Fantastic, guys. So, as I mentioned, there are various bits and bobs of Dalton's third movie um, kicking around. Um, but today we're going to look at the first draft screenplay dated July the 6th, 1990, um, by Michael G. Wilson. And I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it's Alfonso, Alphonse Ruggiero or Ruggiero. Have you got any insight into that, Bill? No, close enough. I, I, I've never heard it <laughs> pronounced no, either, but uh, Ruggiero looks correct to me. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's an Italian name, and it's, I don't think it's Spanish. So. so, Bill, you know a little bit about this guy's work, right? Yes. Uh, in 1987, uh, there was this TV show in the States called Wise Guy, and it uh, concerned the adventures of a guy, of a someone who was going deep undercover into uh, the mob, essentially. And Alphonse Ruggiero Jr. was one of the writer-producers who worked on that show. I mean, that's the first time I had ever heard of him. I didn't see it on the very first run, but when it went into reruns later that season, I, I watched it and I got hooked, and it was like a pretty good show, and he was definitely one of the regular contributors. So sometime later, when I saw that uh, he was going to be involved with a Bond script, that certainly caught my interest. So yeah, it, 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 again, he did seem like he was a pretty good writer. Yeah, so for context, this was penned in the summer of 1990. Um, legal shenanigans were kicking off between Dan Jack, parent company of Eon, and MGM due to disagreements about MGM's new ownerships and cable TV rights and all sorts of other things. Um, so, Bill, you spotted something interesting on the first page. On the title page, it says Warfield Productions rather than Eon Productions. Uh, Warfield was the production company of Cubby Broccoli that made Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in 68. And and also, going back to James Bond Jr., the, the school was named right. Warfield, presumably after that production company. Um, we were chatting just before recording. Maybe there's some legal shenanigans involved that they didn't want the words Eon or Dan Jack on that title page. I don't know, just to be clear, but uh, yeah. it's it's a reasonable guess. Yeah, yeah the uh, um, I, I wasn't going to comment on, on that. Um, I, I was interested in the note that, that there is on the cover page because uh, I yes. find it curious that, that that's there. Yes, and. So I'll, I'll read it for the benefit of the audience. It says, note, the robotic devices referred to in this script are complex and exotic machines designed for specific tasks and environments. They are not humanoid in form. They are to be designed especially for the film for maximum dramatic and visual impact. At this point, we put the caveat that Eon 
lies. <laughs> well, and we'll also, find later. also, I have a copy of the treatment that preceded the script, and that line is in there somewhere. I forget yeah. whether it was handwritten or not, but yeah, this was a kind of running theme through the development of this version of the story. Um, yes. it, it's it's R2-D2, not C-3PO. It's kind of like a, a an evil R2-D2. Though, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's actually a robotic a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Bill David, who wants to have a go at the very high-level synopsis of this movie, and then we're going to go kind of location by location through the story. It's not well, going to well, be me. <laughs> You're well, not, not going to well, get a high level from me. <laughs> well, I'll go. Um, I mean, again, in terms of the broader context, um, License to Kill did okay outside of the U.S., but did not do okay in the U.S., and there was a general house cleaning going on at Eon Danjack. Richard Maybaum was out. John Glenn was out. Uh, Michael G. Wilson, who had been the primary screenwriter of License to Kill, was still there because, oh, he's Cubby's stepson. You don't fire um, yourself, do you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, so essentially they were kind of starting over and starting fresh. Um, reading this, reading both the treatment and this script, I kind of think they were kind of going for something akin to The Spy Who Loved Me. That is, yeah. The Spy Who Loved Me was like bigger, bolder after uh, The Man with the Golden Gun had had dipped at the box office globally. and. Yeah. Uh, and, and and of course it worked That's out. That's to say well. nothing of the qualities of the film, right? Yeah, right, just David. in terms yeah. of scope and because boldness. when yeah when I when I read Bond in this, I, I see him as being Roger Moore rather than Timothy Dalton, and I just wonder how much of that is right. uh, is, is Michael G. Wilson's inner Bond. His inner Bond is Roger Moore. Right. It's funny you mentioned that because I know this is like chronologically not possible, but when I read it, I thought of Pierce Brosnan, but Pierce Brosnan from the, from the EA games. Okay. <laughs> that's very specific, but... Um, <laughs> that's yeah. probably above the head, heads of both of your guests on this one. Right. Okay. <laughs> the kids will get the reference. Um, so yeah, Bill, do you want to take a crack at the... Uh, at, like a, a 30 second summary and then we'll, we'll get into it. Cause this one's a doozy. Well, you, you've got a, uh, if I remember right, he's a British Chinese mogul business yeah. mogul who wants to take over Hong Kong. And I'm, I'm sorry, the, the treatment and the script kind of blur in my mind. So if, if I'm, <laughs> if, if I mentioned something that you guys haven't read, that's, that's what's happening. So I'm, I apologize in advance, but yes. So it, it kind of falls back on the, on a Fleming trope, you know, remember Dr. No was of mixed heritage. Mm -hmm. And so like, Oh, okay. We have another villain of mixed heritage and um, yeah, he wants to take over Hong Kong and he's, you know, he's, you know, and also, um, one of the interesting things about this story, whether it be treatment or, or script, is some of this has kind of sort of come to pass with in terms of robotics. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the company, but there's this company that has developed this four-legged robot dog, as it's, as it's called. Google like, owns the know, company now. Yeah, and, and, and like, you know, but the, 
the robot can get up on its hind legs and they've, they've done videos that have demonstrated what it can do. And like one of the videos basically shows one of these four legged robots, like breaking into something like, yeah. <laughs> um, Boston dynamics is a company and there's an episode of black mirror that, um, has the same kind of robot dog in it as the protagonist. So, yeah. So, so, and I don't know if that reflects uh, Michael Wilson's uh, engineering background because he was both an engineer and a lawyer, but, uh, you know, maybe he was drawing on his own knowledge about he what He studied was... the laws of physics. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, we, we can get into some of the more uh, outrageous stuff uh, in yeah. a bit, but uh, there, yeah. is, there is some stuff that's like really outrageous. So Yeah. Okay, so I think running down the characters is probably a good starting point before we get into the locations because there's so many names that come and go. Um, so I'll start from the top in the order that they're introduced in the in the screenplay. So first off, <clears throat> apart from the recurring characters we all know and love, so Nigel Yupland is an EMOD. He's kind of taken over the EMOD. He wanted the double O section abolished. He wrote a paper about how to get rid of the double O section. He's cut Q branches costs down to the bone. Yeah, I, um, I've, I've never come across this uh, this character in the films. Right? It's not it's all like C <laughs> Inspector. It at isn't, all. is it? No. Yeah, you can see that uh, C has his origins in 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 this guy. Yeah. Why? Well, it's a straight lift, to be honest yeah. with you, because he's also thirty years old. He's a younger guy. He conflicts with he, he he goes up against them. I mean, it's it is C from Spectre, like, yeah. and it's a yeah, good yeah. it's a good idea. I mean, Eon to their credit, if they have a good idea, don't use it. It comes back later, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, That's and funny. and also Judy Dench M number one. Remember, right. she was an analyst, and she was kind mm -hmm. of not really. I mean, she wasn't as anti double O section as this character is, but she's right. more of a analyst, more of a kind of cold yeah. calculating person uh what was it bill tanner refers to her as the uh evil, evil queen, of, queen numbers. of numbers yeah. yeah so there's even elements of of yupland in the first version of D judy densham right so next up we have the coho knee twins who are two chinese entrepreneurs that are big dudes like 400 pounds a piece twins and they own uh technology company based out of china that also operates in canada um connie webb is the bond girl of the piece um she's a, described as an american adventurous uh who had cia training um what made what stuck out to me was on page 27 she's listed in the early 30s and on page 28 she says she's 27 um, I guess <laughs> she's lying, lying about her age, even though. Right. Um, and she is the daughter of a guy called Henry Leland Webb, whose name is absolutely not important because it doesn't feature in any of the rest of the script. So I think that's just a hangover of some draft that they kept that that guy was important at some point. Um, next up, we have Otto Winkhart, who is a disbarred Swiss lawyer. And I came to think of him kind of like the character in License to Kill, the accountant. Oh, yes. That's who I kind of pegged him as. Is like He's essential to the business, but he's not liked and he's annoying. And eventually, well, we'll get to find out what comes of him later. Um, 
Next up introduced is Sir Henry Lee Ching, who is the villain. Um, he's described as a 30-year-old electronics genius. He's, as you mentioned, Bill, half Chinese, half British. Uh, British on his mother's side, for what it's worth. Um, and his business is developing cutting-edge weapon technology. And in a very stilted bit of dialogue with Otto, the guy that's worked with him for years, he explains that he now owns 83% of the world's weapons technology suppliers or something. Um, so basically, sh- just short of a monopoly, so he can control who starts wars with who uh, and whatnot, which comes um, into play later. Uh, next up, we have a character called Nan, who is his girlfriend, and described yes. as an, ex- an exotic beauty, who may not yeah. be all she seems. Yes, yes, yes. But we'll wait. We'll get to go into her. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, next, we have Rodin, who I think is Hinks, pretty much. Um, kind of. Who's yeah. His, yeah, who's his henchman? Um, next, we have Doctor Lombardi who is described as a sociopathic scientist. And this is basically the guy from No Time to Die. Right. The, the, the scientist yeah. from No Time to Die. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection, actually, but yeah. Um, now we have uh, a couple of allies. We've got Denim Crisp, who is yeah. head of Section H in Hong Kong. He's described as a huge Scot. Uh, based in Hong Kong, who wears massive Hawaiian shirts and drinks yeah, scotch. I, he, yes, he, he, I think he changed nationality in yes. the uh, <laughs> translation to screen. <laughs> yes. Jack Wade prototype. So it's basically, yeah, a Scottish version of Jack Wade. Um, I do wonder if the... He, I mean, he basically hides a bottle of whiskey under his jacket in all the scenes. So I, I just wonder if somebody at the studio would be like, yeah, you can't denigrate Scottish people as drinking like that. Um <laughs> Uh, next up, yeah. we have <laughs> K- Colonel Quenlo, who is high up in the Chinese army, Chinese military. Um, he comes into play later on in the script. Um, and lastly, we have Mai Wei, spelled M-I-W-A-I, who's the, chi- oh, the, Chinese, the Chinese female character in this, and whose introduction says, don't tell me about the jokes. Um, oh, right. Which yes. was a Christmas Jones line in The World Is Not Enough, right? Like, I've heard all the jokes. Like, just no puns. Um, and she's got an interesting uh, journey through this story because she starts up – well, we'll get into it. Um, but that's the cast of characters. Uh, did, you, did you mention Alison? No. Go for it, David. Yeah, well, uh, the, the whole thing starts out with uh, Bond participating in a hang gliding racing thing with um it's, it's a it's a it's a dual tandem uh, dual tandem it's a tandem uh, hang gliding uh, championship bonds participating with um allison ives who is um a world champion or something like that and she is yeah. working according to the script she's working for mi5 so i don't know what he's doing with right her, but uh, um and they while they're participating in this race they need to uh take several tangents to uh to um do some aerial photography while they're at it so uh, it it kind of doesn't seem very credible to me because i'm sure somebody would notice that they uh had gone off course yeah so 
the the yeah so like, yes yeah, so you're right allison's that she gets I, I, all the way through the script it's mentioned as mi5 which is clearly incorrect right and i think that just comes down to alfonso's writing it does you know an american right is he american uh i believe so <laughs> I mean, that's fine. And that would have got caught, right, and fixed. But yeah, so Alison gets seconded to my five works of bond. I just find it funny how, what a coincidence that the World Championship hang gliding tournament flies over on its flight path a a, a, a weapons facility. Yeah. <laughs> a critical weapons facility. A critical that, weapons yeah. facility. So in the pre title sequence, Bond basically hops off the hang glider mid flight to infiltrate the weapons facility. Yeah, and and he, uh, he's replaced, but he, and the, well, you're not replaced, he's, there's a dummy of him. Which an uh, inflatable bond, inflatable. <laughs> an inflatable bond gets back on the hell and glider. <laughs> uh, the, the fate, the fate of that is unknown. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and also in that, that in, se- in in that in that sequence, we fir- meet the first of the killer robots. Yes, uh, Bond thinks he's going to have this easy time of it, and. and what they call it an SSR, if I remember right. It's it's basically Goldeneye pre-titles, isn't it? Because it's a yes. it's a jump into a weapons facility that looks innocuous from the outside. Inside, it turns out it's a weapons facility. I mean, switch tech for chemicals, and it's basically the same thing. They go through it. He goes through it thinking this is too easy, right? And then it goes wrong at the end. I mean, it's it's pretty yeah, linear it, with Goldeneye. It, but it, it also the kind of the way it's described, it seems a bit. To me, uh, like the the beginning of, of Goldfinger, where yes. Bond's there with his plastic explosives, and yeah. there are vats of whatever, and uh, yeah. and I, I guess that was deliberate, and they were they were just trying to lull you into full sense of security. It's just, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. He's going to he's going to um, uh, plant the explosives, and then he'll go to a bar and bang. But no, right. it doesn't happen. Right. Your audience is on that stupid though. Also, amusingly, the SSR, the robot, gives Bond three chances instead of just yeah. blasting him right from the start. You it's, know, kind it actually, like, it's kind of like Ed 209, right? You have so many seconds to comply. And, um, right, right. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 it escalates, right, from, yeah. from stun guns to lethal force <laughs> Yeah, as Bond ignores him. So, yeah, the whole pre-title sequence is Bond fighting a, an evil R2-D2, effectively. Yeah. In this facility, there was one thing I wrote in my notes, David. Echoes of Goldfinger with plastic explosives. So we both got that one. It must have been a pretty standout. The other one I got was the description of the long glass walls of the lab with bathed in purple light. I mean, that's basically on a Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, the way they describe the lab, Blofeld's lab. Um, so there's a lot of callbacks to classic movies. Um, the other thing that stood out for me was when Bond escapes, he gets picked up by the hang glider again, and they continue their route. And he ends, uh, he ends up on the bridge. Sorry, he ends up on the, this bridge, and he gets blocked off by both ends by the security forces. And he's kind of thinking about jumping off. No time to die pre-title sequence. Anybody? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and Allison and, comes to the rescue with her hang glider right. under the bridge. And also, yeah, like when it all concludes, like nobody's the wiser, you know. Right. What, what, whatever audience was watching this highlighter well, <clears throat> thing, they're like, not only do they get away with not being spotted, they win the race. Yes, <laughs> in yeah, record time. Yeah, with all these details. <laughs> <laughs> 
saying. Yeah, well, well, one thing I'd, I would, I've got to say about the robots, uh, at least they're not shark robots or robot sharks. Right, <laughs> with the laser beams on the head. With the laser yeah. beams and everything, yeah. So what do we think of the pre-titles? It seems to be kind of like a greatest hits package with this b- hang gliding is a very bizarre uh, hook for it. But um, Yeah, I, I don't think it would have worked well at all. Uh, I, you know, it, it's a first draft, so uh, I, I think, you know, you just need to get ideas down on paper to start. With. So uh, I don't, pro- probably if they had gone through with this, it, it would have been very resi- revised in the in the final form before it actually right to the screen but uh, as it is i don't think it really works yeah but i will add this though it was a what's basically 10 pages and the you know the rough uh rule of thumb is one page of script equals roughly one minute of screen time uh-huh. so like so like 10 minutes that might not you know there were like leaner pre-title sequences but they've gone well no time to this, die and, and others right. like but way in, beyond uh, 10 minutes post license to kill this would have been a long pre-title sequence. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, but 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 when you compare it to the world is not enough at no time yeah, to die, right. it's like it's lean as hell. Um. So we go into the main titles. No, I would just say this: uh, the, the pre-titles is basically to set up the robot, right, as as a security droid that will be used later in the film for Bond to go up against. And this whole idea of weapons technology being far more advanced than the public knows about. That's basically it. There's no other MacGuffin that's introduced. Um, They could have had deep links to the plot of the film, but other than that, it's just Bond going up against a weapons tech, right? Yeah. Setting the stage was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. So this is where we, I think the first, oh, this is Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, moment for me kicked in because after the main titles we go to South China Sea. Yeah, yeah. And instead of a sea drill, it's a Harrier jump jet, which acts all crazy, and then the pilot switches off, switches the system down to crash it and ejects. I don't, I don't know if that's Air Force policy <laughs> to do that. <laughs> um, um, and then as he ejects, the 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 Harrier kind of comes back to life and flies off into mainland China and crashes in the village and kills people. And that's our intro to the main film. Yeah. Did it, did you both think that this is basically the precursor to tomorrow never dies? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Partic- particularly given the villains uh, motivations, you know, wanting to take over uh, Hong Kong because again, yeah. this you know was written seven years before the handover. Um, and whereupon, um, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies came out after the handover. But, you right. know, in, within reason, yeah, it, it's it's related to the handover, definitely. So next we switch to, interestingly, named as Blenheim Palace as the location for the briefing where, uh, like, all branches of UK law enforcement get together. The MOD's there, MI, MI5-MI6 is there, the double section's there. The police are there. Um, but Spectre's not there. <laughs> not that we know of. Right. Uh, good point. And of course, of course, the Bond series, which is Blenheim Palace more than once after this script was written. Um, and this is where we kind of get introduced to Yupland and his, I don't care what you think, this is just China making shit up and um, go away, double section, you're no longer reliable. Kind of pitch which is you know 
as with Spectre, right? Well, and, and also in terms of what was going on in the world at that time, uh, the Eastern Bloc was starting to fall, but I don't believe the Soviet Union actually fell till 91. But some of the, what had been Soviet satellites were starting to fall. Hmm. Uh, because there's some line with Yeplin about, like, you didn't see this coming or something like that. Um, I mean, basically, the world was in a lot of turmoil <laughs> when this script was, uh, was being written. And uh, a lot of things people never thought would happen, like Poland, you know, falling out of the Soviet bloc and a lot of those um, yeah. Eastern European <laughs> countries. Yeah, so that Yuplin's line is your strong arm tactics. This is to M. Your strong arm tactics are a thing of the past. Actually, a diplomatic embarrassment in light of recent developments in Eastern Europe. Yes, so. that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, so I assume that's I assume that's a reference to what had been Soviet satellites falling out of the Soviet orbit, but the Soviet Union was still up and running at least for another year or so. And and there's a character introduced for no reason whatsoever really called chief inspector mcgregor of scotland yard i mean all he does to do all he does is basically he, he's there to to explain and to sympathize with em and bond that their, their their theory that something's going on with the the harrier and it wasn't what yuplin thinks it is yeah i'd forgotten about him to be honest and but it's it's curious that um they've never used the character of a uh, valance from the uh, from the books, who was the head right. of, uh, I think it was head of Scotland Yard or something, something like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and he, that, that's his one scene is to to basically agree with them. And this scene is where kind of like, kind of like Furos only Q's talking about enhancing images and stuff. Um, and it really leans into Blade Runner technology here because um, Q's idea is to use a computer to work out what to spin the angle of a photograph around to see somebody's face to work out who this person they're after is. Um, and he makes some kind of quip that, you know, it take the better part of a year on MI6's computers to do this. Um, but, you know, they could borrow um, the parallel processor from Sinclair in Cambridge. <laughs> and Brits of this era will know Sinclair as the maker of the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, well, so, uh, my first computer was a ZX81, so uh, right. that beats even the Spectrum. Right. I, I didn't think Sinclair were on the cutting edge of supercomputing in 1990. <laughs> there we go. That's right. And Anyway, another name could be Inspector Leo the Explainer. Uh, Leo, <laughs> Leo the Explainer was a term Tom Mankiewicz used in, the, uh, in his uh, commentary track for uh, Live and Let Die about how stars don't want to have to give the explanation so right. a secondary actor does so yeah that's what the inspector there's for to yeah, be yeah he really does because, yeah because he he agrees that there's something fishy with the autopilot company because they got broken into a couple of weeks before the incident and so their spidey sense is saying oh these technology companies getting broken into and then something goes haywire um which then takes us to one of my favorite places on the planet, Vancouver, where we go to Kahoni Industries, um, that Chinese weapons company we talked about in the beginning, where there's a break-in and we see a shadowy figure 
And when I was reading this, it was kind of like uh, the John Gardner novel where Blofeld is re- re- Blofeld's successor is revealed to be a woman. And because two-thirds of the book, they don't use any pronouns, it's obvious what's coming. Yeah. Well, they really struggle in this <laughs> to not use any pronouns to describe the shadowy figure that's breaking in. Of course, later on, it turns out to be um, the Bond girl of the piece, Connie Webb. Um, but anyway, so she breaks in and switches out a microchip assembly on a on a device. And that's really the setup um, for Bond to fly into Vancouver and go skiing, as you do, up in Whistler. Whistler's not named, but it's clearly Whistler in the script. Oh, okay. description. And there's a sequence which is pretty much straight out of The Water's Not Enough, or sorry, The Water's Not Enough pretty much lifts it from this, where they go get dropped off by the helicopter. He chases her. She's skiing erratically to see if he can catch up. It's a game of cat and mouse. Um, And that's where Bond meets the Bond girl. What did you guys think of that? Uh, Yeah, it was... uh... It it was it was clearly it was clearly what inspired inspired. uh, Well, there's not enough. Uh, That was that was that's the funny thing about reading this when when you see um, some of the stuff in it and you you just see it in in the other film, don't you? Right. And it's uh, so yeah. I don't 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 really know what to to, uh, say about it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, Connie's reckless. She gets buried by a little mini avalanche. I mean, it is almost identical to the one is not enough. Um, should say at this point, Bond is undercover at this point as James Baker, right? Um, yeah. With his little super semiconductor MacGuffin that he's trying to lure the weapons buyers out with. It, it, it's, I was about to say, it's also interesting they specify a car as a Toyota. Yeah, which, oh, which is a, uh, a nondescript Toyota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be- because uh, I remember uh, uh, Bruce Fairstein's uh, first draft for what would become Tomorrow Never Dies just says, it's a car, and the car is whatever we do the uh, product placement deal with. So he, he didn't bother to specify yeah. the car. <laughs> you know, well, why because, go to the effort when, uh, when you're going to be overruled anyway? Yeah, because, you know, like... Uh, Oh, and Maybaum's first draft for um, uh, the man with the golden gun. Uh, after he took over from Mankiewicz, he specified the car was a Ford. And like, you know, well, don't bother. Just, just don't bother, writers. Just say it's a car. <laughs> the producers right. will figure out what the car is based on bids <laughs> from automakers. Yeah. Uh, so Bond and Connie go to dinner, right? And um, Bond drops the bait of this um, room temperature superconductor sample, which Q magically got off one of his friends or something, um, as bait for the buyer, because she only claims to work for the middleman and doesn't know who the boss is, and the boss turns out to be Sir Henry later on. Um, and then they get attacked by the Cohoni twins, and um, she drives off in a Lamborghini and leaves Bond behind to kind of fend for himself. Yes, yes. Bond, Bond not having uh, too much luck with the women in this script. Yeah. At least not initially. What cracked me up is she drives a black Lamborghini and then she, she, she loses them, pulls up onto a jetty and washes her car to reveal it's a red Lamborghini underneath some fake paint, which is straight out of Cannonball Run. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you, you've got to take your inspiration from where you get it. <laughs> right. 
Right. And there's and there's also this exchange between Connie and Bond. Does losing to a woman bother you? Yeah. Losing bothers me. So it's like, okay, we are continuing the uh tradition begun with the spy who loved me of uh a uh, female lead who one ups Bond now and then. So we cut now to Hong Kong, where Sir Henry Lee Ching's building, much like the Carver building in Tomorrow Never Dies, um, it's all glass and high tech. Um, and we see the villain of the piece, we're introduced to him in the scene, and he is in a geodesic dome. He is in a VR suit and he is remote controlling the Cajoni robot that's in a Chinese nuclear reactor. And it turns out that that robot went to get repaired and swapped the part out with the one that Connie Webb switched out. So he's now controlling the robot inside the nuclear reactor. And um, there's not a meltdown because the people working at the nuclear reactor sacrificed themselves and flood the place with coolant, but it's a bad accident. And that kind of to the audience then confirms that aha, so Bond and M were correct that the Harrier thing was a, <coughs> wasn't an accident, and there is somebody nefarious behind the scenes. Yes, and again, um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, so this villain kind of fits some of the familiar familiar Fleming tropes: mixed racial heritage. Um, I, I, let's go, in fact. <laughs> He's basically an updated Dr. No, essentially. Right. Um, I'd say the difference between him and Elliot Carver is he's a weapons tech mogul, whereas Elliot Carver is a media mogul. But other right. than that, other than that, the background's motivations and, and everything else are pretty much the same. Yes. And the, a lot was made of Fierstein's pitch to Eon. Like he did the whole Sermon on the Mound speech about. Uh, satellites and the new artillery and all that kind of stuff right but other than that little speech the characters all here in a script that fiercely didn't work on so i mean elliot carver saying Li ching with a basically a name change and a different job but other than that i think they're pretty much the same person but they both have seemingly limitless resources and right they have you know they have many thugs well, and they, they have a new monopoly on their industry right Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, how Alfonso didn't ask for screen credit on Tomorrow Never Dies? <laughs> yeah. um, well, maybe he did, and the writer's guild said, no, right. that's not yeah. enough. You don't make the 30% on that, Alphonse. Right. <laughs> so, Bond flies into Hong Kong because Connie leaves him a flight ticket and a hotel reservation. Um, so, Bond flies in, and then Q arrives on a plane. With the DB5. Yes. Now, for once, there's actually a rational reason for this, because Yupland wanted to auction off or sell off all the old MI6 equipment, and Q couldn't bear to see the DB5 go to auction, so he delivers it to Bond in Hong Kong. Right, but it also repeats the license to kill bit of uh q going out into the field mm -hmm. to help bond i mean yes he did go out into the field in both thunderball and you only twice but was basically give bond a gadget or two he was a fedex delivery guy yeah but whereupon in licensed kill was different because he's in you know q became an active collaborator with bond and that trend continues with this script so you can you can 
conclude that that was a Michael G. Wilson thing, that he liked that. So I'm going to do it again. <laughs> right. And I think it works here. I think it works because Q's, Q's a very sympathetic character in this film. Uh, sorry, in this treatment. Um, you know, he's seeing his life work basically being stripped away by some pen pusher and, and whatnot. Right. Um, so there's a, so just like Tomorrow Never Dies, um, there's a, Sir Henry hosts a party and Bond gets an invite with Connie to go float this um, MacGuffin to the buyer. And part of that party is a demonstration of his abilities, much like Elliot Carr and Tomorrow Never Dies. In this case, he's showing the, the fortifications of the building, right? Like the fire shutters and the bulletproofness and all the rest of it, and the security robots, um, which is foreshadowing so much of the ending. It's pretty blunt, right? The foreshadowing in this script. And then Yupland rocks in and blows Bond's cover right in front of everybody. Yeah, I, I yes. like the way he... he um, it, it, I don't know if it's here or, or, or before, and he um, he chastises Q for for uh, being in in Hong Kong, and uh, and then uh, Q tells him that he paid for his own ticket to be held there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking, by the late eighties, uh, Desmond Llewellyn had become the first among equals in terms of the Bond supporting cast. You know. Um, Bernard Lee had died in the early 80s. Uh, Lois Maxwell had been replaced in the mid-80s. You know, so he is like the blast of the old guard, so to speak, in terms of actors, not characters. So it does make sense that they would like want to try and get as much mileage out of Desmond as they could. And yeah. like I said, uh, License Kill was a beginning on that. And this script, had it been made or a variation of it had been made, would have continued that trend. Yeah. So as we mentioned, Bond's cover gets blown, and so he has to make his ex exit from the party, and he heads for his DB5, um, and Connie's taken away by Winkart to be interrogated. And that's the last we see of her for, like, the next hour of the screenplay, pretty yeah. much. She disappears from the story at this point. Forgot to mention... That when Bond arrives in Hong Kong, goes to his hotel, he meets this character Mi Wei, right, which we mentioned at the start, um, and his photograph is taken at the hotel, much like Doctor No when he lands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I spotted too. Yes, and yeah, and, that, and very, very much like uh, Doctor No. Yeah, even to the flashbulb level. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And um, that turns out to basically be faxed to Quenlo, the head of the Chinese um, army, uh, some general in the Chinese army who identifies Bond as an old foe. But we don't know that at this point. It's all kind of it's kind of well dripped out as to the the motivations of these characters. So anyway, Bond has to escape. I should mention that before the party, they were supposed to meet at a floating restaurant. That floating restaurant no longer in Hong Kong. Um, it kind of sank and went bankrupt. So. Yes, it did. Yeah, well, that's that's too bad. Last um, year, I believe. I, yeah, it was quite recently. Yes, I, I was just also thinking about something. This is something Mankiewicz wrote for *Live and Let Die*, but it wasn't. I guess it wasn't filmed. It's certainly not in the movie. It was like when uh, Bond arrived in San Monique. All the uh, people at Passport Control are like clearly on the payroll of uh, Doctor Kananga, mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. and they. Uh, report bond's arrival to kananga so i don't know if they took 
what's here from the live and let die script that wasn't filmed but again it it, it it's actually kind of interesting i mean it kind of adds to sort of like a paranoia um yes. uh, involved and it's it's also because denim crisp the big the scottish jack wade who's again seen heavily drinking um at the party is kind of holding a drink for me way so you're like how do they know each other right and it's later it transpires that of course he knows she's a chinese agent but at this point you don't know anybody's intentions so i this is building up pretty good at this point when i was reading it um and then there's the obligatory car chase yeah which reminded me a lot of Dino the day because replace ice fields with um, country roads leading to mainland China from Hong Kong. But it's kind of a tech versus tech stalemate. Um, yes. Measure, I, measure and countermeasure. Uh-huh. But then but, it, it, it ends in a very similar way to the car chase inspector. Yes, yes. So we should mention that Sir Henry is remote controlling the car with his VR suit, much like he remote controlled the robot. Um, in the new clue rector. So it's Sir Henry's driving the car, but there's nobody in it um, chasing yeah. Bond and, and the DB5. You know, I, I, was thinking, I was thinking about this. I, I, I think this wouldn't have worked for the same reason or, or a similar reason that the Spectre car chase didn't work. And that is that rather than just focusing on the car chase and what the drivers are doing and how you know they're, they're finding it difficult to control the cars, it keeps um, jumping out of the chase and you know doing other stuff. And so mm-hmm. it goes back to goes back to, to Sir Henry and how he's doing with his suit and everything. And you know, in Spectre, the problem was you know jumping out of the chase and then bond on the phone to Money Penny and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And it, it just um, it, yeah. it kind of diluted the uh, the adrenaline, if you like. Yeah, nothing feels and, the tension like checking yeah, what's in yeah, the fridge. I, I, I think it, 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 there's the same structural problem here too, and yeah. uh, which I thought was interesting. The, the, the other thing that's, I think, misplaced, but for dramatic purposes, I see why they did it, is that Henry gets, Sir Henry gets exhausted with contorting his body in this VR simulation to try and drive the car, where you could have just used like a controller. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, why would you be physically exhausted from remote controlling a car? Anyway, um, but that's to ramp the tension up, right? That it's a physical thing. So, you know, Henry's car's got machine guns, but Bond's got the shield and, and whatnot. Um, and he's got, Bond's got uh, countermeasures against missile locks. And so it, it's kind of like Dino of the Day where each one's weapons knocks the other ones out. Yeah. And Until also, the- he, also Bond, Bond has, to, have to, has to turn his headlights off as, as well. Too. Yes. And so, so it, it's not just down to gadgets. It's also down to Bond, you know, thinking yeah. as he's... As yes. He's, uh, he finds clever escape. way. He he finds clever ways to um to stay but, alive, basically repeatedly. But the but the question is, would there have been more tension if Bond was just driving a normal car without gadgets, similar to For Your Eyes Only when he's driving the little yellow Two car? CV. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, and he's outmaneuvering you know a much bigger, faster car. Uh, if he was driving a normal car and he could somehow you know, outmaneuver right. Sir Henry's more. What do you mean? And a normal, car. a normal car. You've never been to France. 
Uh, well, uh, I have, but I haven't had to drive. It's nineteen. It's nineteen ninety, isn't it? It'd be like a Renault Twingo or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Google it, kids. It's a funny looking car. Um, so, Yuplin basically puts on autopilot, right, which tracks the car in front, and and so he's he's right behind Bond's car without having to drive it, and then so. As you say, David, same as Spectre, Bond deliberately drives off the cliff or riverbank, yeah. in Spectre's case, and, and ejects so that yes, the car behind him would... but it's like it says Bond, Bond pulls a harness from the headrest and tells um, my way yeah. to do the same. And it, it, it's, okay, uh, in, in Spectre it was just Bond there and it was all automated, but it's exactly the same. Yes, exactly the same. And, and they parachute, although into the water rather than onto the street. Yes. Um, and so at this point, Henry's really mad that he failed and lost face in front of Otto Winkman, um, his his lawyer, Swiss lawyer guy. So he sends Otto Winkman to be trash compacted. <laughs> um, I hate to bring up a technicality, but like, okay, Sir Henry is half Chinese, right? Yes. He's Brit- half side. British. Yeah, yeah. But isn't it Japanese that are concerned about face? I was yeah. under the well, impression Chinese no. really didn't care about face. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. In, in business, face is a big thing in Chinese business. Um, is it? Okay. Yeah, it, it is. All right. Yeah. That's fine. Um, so he was embarrassed, and that's a big deal. Um, so yeah, he yeah. punishes. He's kind of like Winkman becomes the whipping boy, um, and he goes to get down the trash compacting chute and gets squished in the garbage. Nice. Which didn't Blofeld do something like that in the uh, war, war, Warhead script? It was- yeah, it's like, uh, what do you mean? You don't know how many minutes it is. You're dead. Yes. I mean, it, it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could, could, could we just jump back a bit? Um, yeah. There, there, was, there was one uh, thing I just wanted to comment on, which was, um, so Henry wants to buy the company of the twins, and um, oh, that's the, coming up. That meeting is coming up. I know it's. That, that, it, it, I thought it was before. No, okay, it's coming okay, up. Okay. If, it, if it's still to come up, then uh, then uh, we'll do it yeah. in sequence. Then. Okay. Uh, so after the car chase, um, Bond and Bond and Miwei land on the beach below the cliff, and this is when we find out that Miwei is. Chinese army um, because Chinese army helicopters come to pick them up and she reveals herself to be Chinese army and um, they go off to a meeting Chinese army camp which is conveniently right on the border with Hong Kong um, to meet Quen Lo uh, her boss um, and that's how Sir Henry's folks can't find them because they seemingly disappear um, and it, it seems from the script that Sir Henry doesn't know that Mi Wei is Chinese army either which is a nice touch that he doesn't know everything um, and this is the scene where my enemy's enemy is my friend kicks in, right? Because Quenlo, who's a general in the Chinese army, has to make an uneasy alliance with Bond, who has been his past enemy, to take down Sir Henry, because they both come to the conclusion that Henry want, Henry would benefit from a war between China and Britain, just like Elliot Carver would. So Lo, Quenlo sends Bond and Miwei back to Hong Kong to take care of him. Basically, that's their mission. Um, much like Die Another Day with, you know, NSA uh, guy sending Bond and Jinx off to go get graves, right? It's, it's very, very similar. I love this next scene 
Um, it's one of my favorites out of this, this whole script. And it's the Hong Kong Universal Exports office scene <laughs> where Bond goes in to meet Denham, but Yupland basically see from Spectre is there. And this is where they have um, their big confrontation. And Bond's shy of beating the guy up. I mean, it's it's pretty Bond's pretty forthright. Um, to the point where Yupland gets so scared he's shaking. <laughs> yes. And meanwhile, Sir Henry is watching this on hacked CCTV, and Bond actually shoots a bullet past Yupland's ear <laughs> to hit the security camera. And, you know, on his way out, Yupland, you know, yelps, you're fired or something like that. But um, I think this is Bond's peak in subordination, more than license to kill. Yeah, it, it, it seems, yeah, he, uh, he yeah, I'm just trying to find it in the script at the moment. Uh, uh, you know, I was kind of like lost in it after a while because um, the late William Goldman wrote a couple of books. You know, he was a well-known screenwriter and he wrote a couple of books about screenwriting and he talked about how you really kind of need a limit on the number of main characters. And I think they went a little overboard on yeah. the script. Yeah. And so it's like, you almost need a chart to keep track of who's who and who's aligned with who. I mean, that doesn't mean it should be a hard and fast rule by any means, but yeah. Yeah. You know, but like, for example, when he, when Goldman was hired to adapt uh, the right stuff, he felt very strongly they needed to kind of keep the script basically to the story of the seven Mercury astronauts and not go into Chuck Yeager. Mm. And then they hired a director who very much wanted to get into the story of Chuck Yeager and basically Goldman dropped out and, and the director wrote the script. But yeah, I mean, you know, there, there are so many uh, characters in this after a while I got kind of lost and yeah. it, it, you know, maybe they could have dropped, one or two or three. I mean, I don't know what the perfect number is, but I think there's definitely too many in this script. And we haven't gotten to the story of Nan yet, which. Right, right. Which is completely <laughs> unnecessary. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is, this, this echoes a little bit of Moonraker, but it, it's really tomorrow never dies again. Um, and you're sick of me saying that, but um, so Bond confronts Yupland and basically says, look, here's the guy that's doing it. Here's the proof he's doing it. And Yupland's like, are you mad? Sir Henry is one of England's most staunch supporters. Blah, 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 blah. And Bond's like, damn it, you'll listen. Um, and he, he tries to get a commando raid ordered on his building. And Yupland kind of like throws that idea out, like, don't be stupid. Um, so Bond grabs him by the collar, bending him backward over the desk. And Bond says, just shut up and listen. You blew my cover and almost got me killed last night. Your Sir Henry won't rest until he sees the British and the Chinese at each other's throats. You act like you're on Sir Henry's payroll, but you're too arrogant and stupid to know it. <laughs> the set direction is, stage direction is, Yuplin, shaking with fear, shrinks back. Bond is fed up. I think that's an understatement. Um, I think so. <laughs> he lets go, roughly throwing him aside. Yuplin loses his balance. The contents of his desk are scattered as he falls to the floor. Yuplin holds up his hand in front of his face, cowering. Bond, I'm going to take care of that bastard myself, storms out of the office. Right. Whereupon in License to Kill and Quantum of Solace, let's see, in License to Kill, Bond kicked one of M's security guys, but he right. didn't attack M himself. And uh, something similar in quantum, like you know, and, uh, 
yeah, this is this is definitely taking the insubordination thing like <laughs> up by a level of ten. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, the only way for it to be even more outrageous would be if uh, that were the prime minister. Bo- you know, Bond punches right. out the prime minister. That would, <laughs> that would have been. Damn it! I didn't even. I didn't. I didn't even vote for you. So like, I'm going to take care of this myself. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> Bond twenty six. So, so, so Henry's watching all of this on the you know the hack surveillance and um, realizes that he's got a problem. So he sends Rodin out on his motorcycle to go and get Bond. And just as you think, oh, yet another car chase. Bond's in his Bond's in a roadster, quote unquote. And there's a handwritten note on the script which I can't make out, but there's definitely a comment about it being a roadster. Um, so Bond and Miwei are sitting in this roadster ready to go after Sir Henry and Roden appears on his motorcycle, shoots a rocket, hits the car, flips it over into the bay and Miwei is basically dead um, and Bond escapes the sunken car but escapes unseen and slinks off into the night. Um, you know what would have made that perfect if it was like a vintage Bentley roadster? Yeah, <laughs> that would have. I'm I'm not even sure they that would have even occurred to them. But uh, you know, it's like a 1933 roadster. <laughs> yes. What's interesting is because Q's on location, he shows up with Denim Crisp to investigate the scene, and of course, the you know the paramedics are pulling out Miwei's body on a, a wet body on a stretcher, and they can't find Bond's body. And Q kind of mentions that, well, if they don't find him soon, the sharks will get him. Um, and starts tearing up. Yeah, I know. Except the sta- yeah. stage direction is Q gets watery eyes. Yeah. Thinking I'm my dead. favorites, double O agent. Which back in the Guy Hamilton era is like, you know, Q he had utter contempt for Bond. But, right. you know, things change. Right. right. People, people evolve. Uh, I, I, I like it when, when Bond does show up again. And, uh, yes. And, uh, Bond and Bet- Bond and Denim are both pretty pissed. Yeah, Q and, no, Q and no, Denim Bond, go Q, out Q, and get, get they get. I, I wrote down get sourced. <laughs> Just, <laughs> they're pretty, they're not quite drunk, um, but they're but they're drowning their sorrows. That's right. Yeah, um, Q is Q is I, I remember when Bond flew that uh, fly, you know, flight jetpack. It was so great. <laughs> This is Q, Q and Denim stumble out into the hall yeah. from the elevator. So um, both have been drinking. So I, I, I think I think they're they're fairly well gone. Yeah, but I love the reversal because Q and Denim, Q can't. Q's got his room card upside down because he thinks the six <laughs> is a nine. Because so they're pretty toasted at this point, and they go, they kind of bundle themselves into Q's room and see somebody in the shower. You know, and it's not you know Bond breaking into a girl's hotel room. It's actually Q breaking in, and Bond's in Q's hotel room taking a shower behind the glass, which I thought was cute. Um, and Q is overjoyed to see Bond's live and kisses him on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll put that down to the whiskey. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <this point. laughs> and the thing that happens between these two scenes is the thing you wanted to talk about. 
David, about the uh, the hostile takeover attempt of the Coney twins business. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just um, you know, um, so Henry goes to basically goes to go and, and see them, and he's it, it's it's not much of it. It's it's really short, um, but then you know he he says, yeah, what do you want for the uh, for your companies because he wants to buy all the robotics uh, firms in in the world basically and they they say oh it's not for sale so, sorry for wasting your time and that kind of comes um from uh for your eyes only the the, the short story when um a cuban hitman shows up at the havelock's house and tries right. to tries to buy their property in jamaica yes, they turn him down right. and yeah. it, it just it just seemed to have come from there to me yeah i think you're right mm. yeah 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 because wilson was a big fan of trying to use up the scraps of the short stories right yeah, at this yeah. point um and so henry does it by or he gets Rodin to do it but they switch out the tanks on the window washing machine um and the Coney twins are so convinced that their conference room is secure. Um, it is until like massive flamethrowers <laughs> come through the window and, um, and, and barbecue everybody <laughs> in the room. <laughs> and then, so Henry has this kind of thing, like just, you know, buy it off their surviving estate or whatever. Yeah. So, which, which is the, which is the for your, for your art. For your eyes only thing, it's uh, yes. It, it's because um, they, they 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 say to the to the Mexican hitman, um, I think he was called Gonzalez, but I'm not sure, not hundred percent sure on that. And he says, yeah, basically, over my dead body or something like that. Is yeah. that your final word? Because well, then then they shoot them. So it's it's very very similar. Not not word for word, but but uh, no. It, it's, it's yeah, it's very influenced by that. Yeah. Um. So Bond and Q, after Q sobers up, I assume, um, they they have to hatch their plan of how to get into his building. And at this point, Bond assumes that Connie Webb is in on it, but there are some handwritten notes at the end of the script which calls this into question as to why Bond would think that, uh-huh. and it and it's not very clear. And I wonder how much of this is hangover from License to Kill with the whole Pambouvier stingers confusion thing where Bond th- doesn't know what side she's on for a brief moment. And it, it, that's the messy bit of License to Kill, in my view. That whole C kind of strand plot, which is completely unnecessary. Um, so they kind of get themselves in that pickle again in the screenwriting. Um, so Bond doesn't know what side Connie's on. Um, and he says he assumes that she's in on it. Um, uh-huh. Well, and so there have- was that, that whole business about, yeah, she used to work for CIA, but had right. gone freelance. So that's kind of the escape hatch they Just gave Just like themselves. Pambouvier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but at the same time, Pambouvier had, had, was you know, given the authority to make an offer to uh, Don Stroud. Right. I'm sorry, I forget the character's name. But, uh, <laughs> Heller. Uh, yeah. Heller, yes, Heller. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but that deal went askew after Bond had unsuccessfully yes. tried to kill uh, uh, Robert Sanchez. Dobby. So Sanchez, Sanchez yeah. So how do you think you infiltrate an impenetrable building? Let me look at the Warhead script. 
Yes. Oh. You go through the poop chute. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I couldn't believe it when we got when I got to this bit. It's like, what is it about Bond and sewers? <laughs> <laughs> Every, so, every unmade script is has a bond super... wading through shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, some would argue uh, Bond was wading through shit through the screenwriting process. So why not just make it more literal? Uh, that's a joke, by the way, everybody. But um, well, you know what? It, it's it's counterintuitive. You know, Bond is supposed to be a sophisticated character. So what's anti-Bond? Bond going through sewers and. Shit. In a hazmat suit, effectively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's as anti James Bond as you could get. So, you know, you're kind of playing with the audience expectation. I'm, I can just imagine some suit at MGM if they ever had a script meeting about this, which they didn't because the legal issues. <laughs> just saying, like, the audience won't accept this. Um, you know. <laughs> what are we going to put on the poster? Yeah. Bond in shit. See. <laughs> <laughs> This time he's up to his neck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they won't smell him coming. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh dear! I'm, I'm sure. Uh, right in at home, what your poster taglines would be? <laughs> um, contact at jamesbondandfriends.com. So um, Denim Crisp gets the job of tagging along with Bond on this, whereas in Warhead it was Q- it was the head of the police, wasn't it? Um, there's the police chief. Um, Bond and Denim get the job of wading through the sewers to the point where they get to the access hatch and then Denim kind of peels off and Bond goes in alone. Um, and then there's a couple of pages of uh, Bond tinkering with stuff, right? So he's got this diamond razor wire and he cuts a few pipes and he glues a few things together and he t- swaps a few fuses out. Um and it's not explained finds to you. an abandoned robotic shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, that's I, not in it, is it? No. I, did, I, I did chuckle when there is kind of like, the, I think this script's version of Crater Guy um, is, the, <laughs> is the engineer who's sent to fix things. And he goes down and he smells something funny which I thought was hilarious. And he sees kind of footprints and his nose kind of twitches like something stinks. So at this point, Bond is literally covered in shit, I think, at this point. Um, but we're not quite sure what Bond's been messing around with, right, and what his plan is. Um, but it is revealed through um, the foreshadowing in the, in, earlier that the, these fire defenses are in the building where they basically lock a floor off and make it airtight. Um, and that comes into play. Um, and Bond somehow, oh, Bond gets up to the penthouse by hanging on the bottom of the elevator. Oh, never seen that one before. Which we've seen in Skyfall, mm. right? Um, to the point where he steps off the elevator as it's going back down, works his way, jimmies his way through the door. I mean, it's it's pretty I, pretty close to Sky. Skyfall's pretty close to lifting the, the sequence completely. Um, but there, there's one element that uh, Bond movies haven't touched we have to talk about. We have to talk about Nan. Yeah, I thought you were going to say we have to talk about the fact that elevators can't fall down elevator shafts because <laughs> by, by default and by design, they the brakes are on by default and you can't right. physically drop an elevator. You have to have power to lower an elevator. Um, but movies would be boring. 
if 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 they stuck to the truth. But yeah, so Bill, let's talk about Nan because she's introduced at the beginning, she disappears, she comes back at the end. She's basically a sex slave for Sir Henry Ching. I mean, that's Sir Henry Lee. That's basically what she's kind of made out to be, right? Right. Um, this is this is a line from the treatment, not the script. Through the uh, through the open door, Connie spots Nan laying prostrate on the bed behind a curtain of white flowing gauze, and then uh, later Nan appears, quote, in form fitting corset and spandex shorts. This is. Uh, Bond and Connie, they decide to tie Nan up. Nan knocks Bond across the room. Connie tries her luck at subduing Nan. It is revealed, quote, Nan is a security robot. Lethal right. security robot. So yeah. apparently uh, a sentient android. Yes. With, with She's uh, a- uh, AI out the wazoo. <laughs> yeah. Guess. Like this is like whoa! This is like going. This is going where Bond has not gone before. Um, right. So uh, this is not so the should, droid we, you are looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to set this up, Bond through going up to the penthouse on the bottom of the elevator, climbs through like the air duct or something, and tries to lower himself into the room. But Nan pulls him in. I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. Bond. Yeah. Because Nan's, Nan's supervising Connie, who's just been taken off her drug IV that we've revealed that she's been held hostage all this time and interrogated under drugs. Um, is it Connie that pulls pulls away her shirt to reveal yeah. electronics? Yeah, yeah. Nan, Nan throws her down on the ground, and uh, I think she, yeah, I don't know if she's sitting on top of her or something, and, and uh, yeah. Connie grabs her and pulls her uh, top away. It says Connie's point of view of top, false breasts sewn into it. Keep going. Uh, Connie looks up. Her puzzled expression turns to horror. Clothes on Nan's bare chest. A, f- a finely, a finally, I think it means a finely polished stainless steel plate with inset machine screws. Nan is a robot. Right. I will refer the honourable gentleman to page one that says they are not humanoid in form. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and of course, um, in terms of the broader spy craze world, uh, the Avengers TV show, that is the Patrick McNee, Diana Rigg version, had the title "The Cybernauts," yeah, which w- yeah. which had you know r- you know robots, androids, whatever. Uh, in fact, it was so popular they did a sequel. And then when there was the, in the seventies, when you had the new Avengers, they did another sequel. Uh, so like, that's like a really popular storyline in, in that TV series. Um, there's, there's also a spoof sixties movies called, I think it was like Dr. Golto and the bikini girls or something. And it was robot women. Yes, 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 indeed. And, uh, and let's not forget Austin Powers. The Fembots. A few years later. <laughs> the Fembots. Fembots. Yeah, so Nan is a fembot. Yeah, only uh, a, a, only this is a serious movie, right? Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Austin so. Powers did it as a parody, clearly. Uh, with right. the Avengers, it's kind of like half serious, half parody. But you know. though, like Mike yeah. Myers probably hadn't read this script, and no. they did fembots. <laughs> and you got to imagine Michael G. Wilson and the lawyers, you know, watching the Austin Powers and then what? seeing this. Where like, did you get that? <laughs> Who let Mike Myers into the script vault? No. Now we can't use that. God damn it. 
still think we're copying Austin Powers. <laughs> he copied us. Well, you know, that didn't hold for Spectre, did it? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, we draw the line at Fembots, but we'll do the whole daddy issues thing. Right. Um, <laughs> so Bond and, it's Bond and Connie versus Nan the Android. I can't believe I'm saying this in a James Bond <laughs> podcast. And, it, it, you know, to, to cut a long story short, uh, she's hanging off Connie, who's hanging out the window of the 40th story. And Bond uses his diamond razor wire to cut her arm off. And, uh, and, and Nan falls to the ground below, where the security guards see, like, capacitors and resistors spread across the floor. Oh, um, God. And Connie is rightly, I think, slightly upset by the idea of this robot hand still gripping her. Um, so Bond, Bond takes it off. Um, uh, in, in reading this sequence of the script, I do kind of wonder what Cubby's response was when he was reading the script and got to this point. Uh, Michael, I, uh, I think you might want to redo this uh, scene. Uh, Weren't they going to work? Was it with Disney Imagineering they were going to work with to do the robots? That was their idea. I can't oh, remember. I don't remember either. Um, because, you know, there was another script d- done by another couple of writers after this one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know. But, I mean, clearly, clearly it would have been an actress with prosthetics, right? Um, yeah. it, it wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have tried to make an animatronic android. Um, no for the movie uh, it would have you would have spotted it a mile away right in the beginning um kind of blade runner ish i guess right um well in what well, we're remember, trying to do here. um that movie i oh uh, about five six seven years ago with alicia vikander as a robot android whatever um i can't remember the name of it i actually went to see it um i know exactly the one you mean yeah, yeah. It, it it probably would have been it probably would have been something like that as best as they could get away with the with the special effects available at the time. I I was sitting thinking about this after I read it again last night, script, script doctoring it, thinking, well, the way to fix this is just give her prosthetic arms and legs, and she's been augmented, right? She's still a human, but she's got augmentation, right? Like so she she has super strength because Sir Henry's used his technology to help her become a bionic woman. Right, Do it that way, rather than being a fucking robot. <laughs> she is human except for the appendages. Yeah, which which was actually done in a TV movie in the states called The Wild Wild West Revisited with two people. Okay. With two people where they were still human, but they had like lost their arms and legs and they had mechanical, I mean, this is in the 1870s, you know, and they had mechanical arms and legs and super strength and all this stuff. Um, right. Yeah. You, you, you could have done that instead of making a sentient robot slash Android, whatever slash sex robot. Sex, yeah, sex toy, yeah, yeah. sex toy. Because, yeah, I was just going to say, James, when you just said she was a fucking robot, you meant you, you meant that literally. <laughs> you meant it literally, yeah. That's that's what she was. Poor Nan. Um, and and the name itself, um, yeah. Uh, there's all sorts of issues with it. Um, meanwhile, Sir Henry's down in the basement. And he's in his VR suit again. And he's now remote controlling a frigate 
a British frigate in the South China Sea and the, uh, specifically a cedar air missile, ground-to-air missile system. And why is he doing that? Because there's a jumbo jet flying to Hong Kong from China with like all the Chinese army brass on it. And the idea here is that he's going to use a British ship to shoot down the Chinese army plane and create a war. But they have to wait for the jet to be in range, which is, I, I think, a pretty reasonable ticking clock scenario for a Bond climax. It's, it's not some abstract bomb timer. It's actually a, they can't fire the missile until it gets in range. So it's pretty effective, I think, for tension. But wasn't a similar idea to that actually used off screen in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies that there was going to be this meeting of uh, Chinese high command and they would get killed? Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering now, but uh, um, uh, yes, you know. it was um, yes, it was um, the general was was going to be uh, fortunately away from the scene, and he would take over the army, right? When yeah. the missile, when the cruise missile hit, that was right. the plan. Yeah, right. that was the deal. That was the payoff. Yes, you're right. So even that got lifted from this. Um, so that's the ticking time thing that's going down in the basement. Meanwhile, the poor engineer, the, the crater guy, the guy with the spanner that's running around fixing things, um, starts to suspect something's not right because the fire alarm system is going off in the penthouse by now. Um, the sprinklers are on. Um, the fire defenses are coming down. And this was Bond's plan, except he wasn't planning to be in the room. <laughs> when it got locked down. So Bond and Connie are now trapped on the floor of the penthouse uh, that's airtight and watertight, and it's filling up with water. Because My trap Bond is too is, good. <laughs> his trap is too good because Bond <laughs> rigged the water supply to be ridiculously high for the sprinkler system, so now it's flooding. And, um, you know, they're, they're up, their necks are up to the ceiling trying to gasp for air. Um, and Henry makes the stupid decision to send Rodin up in the elevator to go see what's going on. And the poor crater guy's like, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> crater and, guy. Uh, crater guy. He's the guy who should be in charge. He's right, smarter yeah. than the villain and the lead henchman. Like, you know, if crater cr- guy was in charge, he'd be in charge of the world by now. Right. And crater guy <laughs> is sent away. Stupid boy. is sent away. Um, and of course, you know, Ronin gets to the top with his goons, they open the elevator, and all the water in the penthouse floor goes down the elevator shaft and floods the basement where Sir Henry is. Um, assuming the audience assumes that everybody's dead at this point. Um, and the, 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 the jet is saved because the missile didn't fire. And uh, there's a funny cutaway to the sailor reporting something going funny and the, the captain saying, have you been drinking the rum or something? Um, waving it away. End of the movie, right? Because we go to Bond's hotel room with Connie. There's a line earlier in the script which I really like with Bond and Connie where Connie suggests, well, here's to our partnership. And Bond says, I was thinking more of a merger. (laughs) 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 Which I think is a good one. (laughs) 
you know, if they had made this movie, uh, I think some of the deleted see, uh, scenes on the home video release would be pretty amusing right. because they, they probably couldn't use all of the cue drinking with the one guy, but you have the complete scene as a, as a deleted scene on the home <laughs> video release. It's three, like, hours of, it's three hours of cue and denim crisp drinking in a bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was telling stories like, about Bond. I was thinking like 15 minutes, but okay, yeah, whatever. Maybe Q's Q's a lightweight. Maybe it's just 15 minutes. (laughs) I'm I'm curious. Do torpedoes really have alcohol in them? Do what? Do do torpedoes really have alcohol in them? Because the the seaman is is accused of sampling the alcohol in the torpedoes again. Do torpedoes really have alcohol in them? Because I can't think of any reason why they would. But uh, I'm not a torpedo expert. Have you been sampling the alcohol in the torpedoes again? Yeah, that's a weird line, isn't it? Yeah. That's a strange one. Yeah. All right. So Bond and Connie are at the hotel. You think it's over. And then somebody arrives at the door with a messenger bag and a motorcycle helmet. And... When I read this the first time, I thought, oh, it's the typical henchman avenging his boss. Um, but it's not Rodin. That's Robocop. It's Sir Henry using oh. Rodin's motorcycle helmet going after Bond. And we should mention the, the, the motorcycle helmet's got like augmented reality inside. It's got targeting devices inside. And Rodin actually uses it early in the script to use automatic targeting to take out the security forces and stuff because he's got a hip gun that automatically fires based on where the helmet looks. Yeah, which is pretty, which is a pretty cool weapon. Yeah, it would be it'd be very weird to watch this. I think I I, I, I yeah. couldn't quite imagine it. No, it's it, it it's clunkily described, but basically, Sir Henry uses um, thermal imaging targeting to detect where Bond and Connie are because the hotel's kind of one of those funky suites that's got like a steam bath and a jungle area and a hot tub and all this other kind of stuff. Um, which Bond says, all the top hotels have now. It's like, I've never seen one of these before. No. Um, no in fact, it, 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 the, the, the um, was it, is it a rainforest room or something in yes. the suite? Yeah, I, right. because that, that was introduced much earlier in the script. We didn't talk about yeah. this, but it, it's just, and I, I was thinking, well, is this is this where they got the idea of, of the um, of, of the environmental domes for for um, what's it, what's day. Oh, die another day? Yeah, I think yeah. so. It's very similarly described. Yeah, yeah, and it's just weird. You know, an alt- alternative ending would have been uh, if Nan had come back after Bond and, you know, like she's like, she fell from such a height, you know, she's been like kind of smashed, but like, she's sort of like the, uh, oh, the Black Knight in Monty Python. Right. And Holy That's right. Like, I'll right. take she's you on, got, Bond. <laughs> she's just, disfigured limbs are sparking and stuff. And yeah, she could be damaged all over, but she's got this shiny new arm. <laughs> right, right. My arm wasn't damaged, Bond. I'm going to get you. Um, Bond uses the environment to his advantage because he turns on all the steam and hot stuff in the room, in the rooms of this suite, which must be gigantic. And um, he hides in the cold shower because obviously he's going to reduce his temperature so that he can't find him. Anyway, he gets the better of Sir Henry and then 
Sir Henry stupidly turns to manual targeting or something. And then Bond grabs the helmet and, and points it at Sir Henry. So Sir Henry's own gun shoots himself. That makes sense. <laughs> um, no. Well, that's as best as I can figure it out. Not, not a, <laughs> it makes, it, makes as much sense as anything else in the screenplay. So like, right. so here, so here's a couple of questions. One, which is the more far out uh, screenplay warhead or this? Warhead. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, you know, it's like, but, but this screenplay does make a valiant attempt. <laughs> it's like, but, you know, they, they can't quite uh, yeah, match yeah. Warhead. I, I reckon they, oh. they got a copy. They got a copy of Warhead and wanted to compete. Because they took the robots <laughs> from that and they, they took some of the craziness, but they, they didn't manage to, they didn't manage to uh, pull it off quite. But the, uh, just talking about Bond having a cold shower to um so that the heat sensors didn't work right body temperature in right. in celsius <laughs> is about 37 degrees okay yeah. room temperature is say you know 20 degrees something like that uh right. it, he you'd be dead you'd be dead <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah that's right to yeah, fool the senses you'd be yeah dead. because in fahrenheit uh uh Body temperature is ninety eight point six, roughly, and like room temperature is seventy two, maybe yeah. <laughs> like something like that. So to cool yourself below seventy is like that's that's like you'd have to like hop in severe your tub of ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Se very severe hypothermia. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think the thermal stuff. They didn't need to do any of that. He could have just. The targeting system could have been broken. He could have just used the helmet, pointed the helmet at Sir Henry, shot himself, and it would have been a good end. Like, that's perfectly and, fine. And I have one more been. question based on this screenplay. So who at Buckingham Palace is in charge of awarding knighthoods? And how did right. this guy get a knighthood? And like, like, do you well, do, do you do any kind of like double checking yeah. of their background? Yeah, well, I know there have been some no, other well, bad it, people. No, it, it, those those are all very good points, but uh, you ought to ask the current government that as well. Yeah, yeah. Boris is just whipping them out to everyone. Russian yeah. oligarchs, all sorts of shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> in, his, in his resignation list. Um, <laughs> so I got some random notes. Um, I mentioned my one of my favorite quotes as I was thinking more of a merger. How they have not used that in any movie since, I don't know. As gold, that line to me, it's like, because how many times does Bond team up with the other woman, right? It's like, perfect. Well, you know, well, you know the probably the reason it hasn't is that's no longer, that kind of line is no longer in favor <laughs> with the current but regime it, the at Eon. The, the timing of that line is just, I think, af either side of, Henry, Sir Henry trying to do an acquisition of another company. So there is context to it. It's not just... Yeah. No, it's not just it's not a one-liner. It's not just a one-liner. It, it fits within the story too. And that's yeah. why I was like, that's a really good one. The other one, which is either a great or a terrible line, depending on which way you look at it, is Denim Crisp, the Scott, in the sewers, says to Bond, I feel like a miniature proctologist in one of those science fiction films. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> which I think he's referring to inner space. Yeah, I think so. Something like that, where they where they shrink them down and they're in the intestines, uh, <laughs> which is a good a good metaphor for climbing through the sewers of a building. Um, so here's some random notes. Um, there's liberal use of the word "ass," which 
in the 1990s, British characters would not say. Right. But again, remember, Michael G. Wilson was the lead screenwriter on License to Kill, which definitely hiked up the use of swear words. Oh, I'm not Uh, having a problem with increasing swearing. I'm just saying. I I understand. uh, But I'm just saying, because remember, he was the lead guy on License to Kill. And and yeah. and he gets to say because he's doing the voiceover in the pre-title sequence. Yeah. Maybe we can grab the bastard. Um, yeah. Bond, that, Bond that, gets a bastard in this script too. Yeah. Well, the, the the other thing though, James, is that no British character would ever pronounce it like that either. Well, that's what I mean. It's like it wouldn't be in. It would be ass, right? Or yeah. It wouldn't even be ass. It'd be bugger or something. It, right? They wouldn't right. use that yeah, phrase right, like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We'll get. We'll, we'll we'll go get the bugger or something. You wouldn't say yeah. we'll go get the ass, right? I mean, that's also right. not what they would say. Um, right, depending on your intentions. Um, so, um, the room temperature superconductor, which is used to lower the meeting, completely disappears from the film as a MacGuffin. Well, I guess that's okay. Um. Never to be seen. Much like the EMP impervious chips in a view to a kill. Right? It's like... Yes. It's it's so cool. let's spend the hour doing horse racing instead. Um, yeah. I do think, though, I, I, to, to give this script some credit, I do think Wilson and Ruggiero were on to something with robots. Uh, in a way, they were ahead of their time. Yeah. Again, what's available now in real life, we talked earlier about the four-legged robots that exist in real life. So in and of itself, that's a fine if it idea. If it wasn't for Nan, the technology Nan, in this is, oh no, the technology yeah. in this is fine. Right. Yeah. Nan, Nan, Nan blows it all to hell. Uh, and in, in, in No Time to Die, we had the nanobots as well. <laughs> so oh. she's a Nan. Yeah. She's the... <laughs> <laughs> Nan hyphen O hyphen bot. <laughs> That's or is right. It, or, and, is she, or, or is she of Irish heredity, where it's well, Nan the bot? And and, and also and also and also at the world premiere of No Time to Die, when they were saying, you know, it's like Michael G. Wilson, you know, leans over to Barbara. I told you, I'm, I told you, we get Nan in that movie somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh jeez! I don't know if if uh, if there's still some uh, some robot stuff they they want. Uh, look out for it in Bond Twenty Six. Yeah, that's right. But I still I still hold that without Nan being a freaking android, it's a sex kind of android. Hold, yeah, a sex android. Everything else could hold up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I the agree. VR, the VR thing would have looked a little bit wonky today, much like Lord Mower Man kind of looks like, really, like today. Because yeah. um, credit to Wilson, 1990, talking about VR and stuff like that, an augmented reality. I mean, holy shit, this was ahead of its time. Yeah. Big way. Yeah. In a big way. And here yeah. we are now, able to do all this shit. So it would have, you know, had we had this film, it probably would have looked shit today with this technology. But they were onto something factually okay like science check i think um yeah the problem was they needed somebody to uh take 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 michael aside and said um you know cubby or somebody i'll say uh michael that uh, nan sex android's not gonna work just take it out just take <laughs> imagine it out the, <laughs> imagine the family meeting like, over dinner <laughs> it's like 
I've been doing a lot of research recently into sex robots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the magazines that I found in the toilet? <laughs> yeah, that's <fine. laughs> yeah, it, probably, it probably would have been, been Barbara saying, Michael, no, this isn't going to work. This is not going to work, Michael. You got to take this so, out and right he, now. And he'll say, look, why do you think I've been spending so much time in my garage? Recently have been building one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh. I, I do find it funny how like under the, under her clothes and fake skin, it's an, it's a, a sexless robot in that sense. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So why why go to all that bother about making her look yeah. uh, that realistic? Right. Yeah. If it's an androgynous android underneath it all, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Again, easy way to fix it, right? Um, yeah. Don't make her a fucking robot. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, as we've walked through this, I was surprised at how much of this has been used. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was. I mean, apart from the locations, because damn it, we've still not been to Canada, and Hong Kong was touched on in Die Another Day, and Mr. Chang in Hong Kong is kind of Quenlo in this film, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, um, Hong Kong's not yours, Bond, or anymore. That, that kind of spiel is very clever. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's very. Only- They've There's very used, little in here that hasn't been used, basically, in, in one way or another. They've only used Canada when they needed some sort of uh, mountain or something like no, this. Some, some, I mean, some, some non-American because the CIA objected. Right, right. <laughs> um, but but they've never done something that like is supposed to be in Toronto or Vancouver or some right. city you've heard of. Uh, <laughs> like, like Montreal. Montreal has a lot of scenic stuff. That'd be a great place to have. A sequence. I think the rest of Canada would disagree with you. Well, um, <laughs> maybe. I've, I've 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 been to Toronto. I've been to Montreal. They're both scenic cities. I I haven't been to Vancouver, so yeah, you missed out. Yeah, I'll 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 defer to you on that. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of scenic places in Canada where they don't have to be generic place. You know, just. But I, I think it was very it was very clever the way that they pitched this because in the late 1980s there was a lot of move of money from Hong Kong into Vancouver, Canada, yeah. uh-huh. um, big Chinese population explosion in 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 Canada and the West Coast, and uh-huh. so in the context of 1990, this was all spot on. Like, there's nothing in there I can find that I'm like, well, the, there's no obvious goofs on the settings, the setups, the motivations. Nothing. It's it's very solid. And when we look at a lot of these early drafts of 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 movies, there's they're just kind of like all over the place. Well, but, also, I was just going to say, in terms of Vancouver, Wise Guy, the show that Alphonse Ruggiero wrote for, was filmed in Vancouver. So, like, maybe yeah. maybe he was able to touch on his you know personal Local knowledge, knowledge yeah. of the region. Yeah. Absolutely, Sorry. and that always—that's always usually works the best, doesn't it? When the writer's yeah. got knowledge of the location, yeah, doesn't just make shit up like castles on the beach in Japan and stuff, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> so, what did you guys think compared to the other unmade scripts that we've looked at so far? Okay, well, it is. Uh, well, we, we, yeah, we're, we're not quite comparing like with like with Spectre because it, it was made, but. Uh, it's certainly better than Warhead by by a long yeah. way. 
by a long, long way. Uh, the war, warhead was just uh, too weird. Uh, I think it was uh, it was too, too out there, and it, it it wouldn't wouldn't have worked at all. But this one, well, mo- most of it's been used, as we've said. So uh, uh, it, I think it, it's a bit. It's a bit rough. It needed work to have actually made it to the screen in uh, as as a story as it is. Yeah. But you know, a, a first as a first draft, I think it's fine. Well, again, the thing that impressed me was um, how they had dialed things back for License to Kill because they w- were trying to reduce the budget, and clearly the the plan, such as it was for for this script, both the uh, treatment and the first draft was to go bigger similar to the way you know the spy who loved me went bigger than the yes. the man with golden gun did and you know there's definitely rough spots even beyond nan uh the sex robot but um <laughs> just but but there are some interesting aspects about it and you know it, it's funny I, I guess there was another draft done after this by another couple of writers but which uh, we may get onto in a future episode we may uh but anyway the point being you know there is something here and and i guess if you know the uh dan jack fight with mgm hadn't become full-fledged war there for a while maybe we would have gotten it i don't know yeah um i i think so and I think the reason I would I, I think you're right on that bill is well, good judgment to begin with. But second, they basically made Tomorrow Night of Dies out of this. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was good enough to make a Bond movie out of. Because they did. Um for the most part. Yeah, they kind um, of filed filed the labels off here and there. <laughs> Put new, yeah, new ones on. And, uh, but yeah. Uh, I don't want to sp- I don't want to speak ill of anybody still working in the industry, but I, I, I do start to wonder how much work Bruce Fearstein actually did on the story when like the bulk of it, in my opinion is here already. Yeah. And the other thing that the other thing I was thinking of when it's like, well, this is like TND Genesis TND, right. Was um, the big problem with tomorrow never dies was they didn't have a shooting script and they were right. writing it on the fly. Well, why the fuck not just use this? If yeah. this was good enough, if if this was a good foundation that Fierstein ran with to basically write his screenplay from, and all they did was switch the villain's monopoly of weapons to media, and pretty much everything else is beat for beat very similar through the movie, and the central ideas and everything, and the motivations of the character, down to the nationality of the bloody character, um, why not just use that? Why not polish this? Yeah, and use this. Rather than start again, but steal things from steals is the wrong word. Be heavily influenced by homage. This when they could have just shot this movie. I I have read uh, Fairstein's take, first first take draft. Ro- take, take the robots out. Switch it to the newspapers, and you're good yeah. to go. I I have read uh, Fairstein's first draft for what would become Tomorrow Never Dies, and there are at times. This is going to come across harsh, but so be it. There are at times it almost seems like fan fiction because fan fiction tends to like want to make a lot of uh, references to the source material. Right. And I forget there was a stage direction in Fairstein's first draft about 
something is like a thunderball of blah blah blah. The fact we use the word thunderball is kind of you know, Ouch. and and plus and plus there is a scene where the villain kills a, uh, a lieutenant, and it looks just like the board scene in Thunderball. You know, it's you know, like somebody you think one guy is going to get it, but someone else gets it instead. Something like that. Um, and, and and let me put it this way: I'm not. I don't want to give fan fiction a bad name, but there are certain tropes that fan fiction writers, ha- having done some of it myself, you know, you tend to like make all these inside references to the source material because it, you just do, and it's just it's just kind of the nature of the beast because you're doing it yeah. for fun. You're not doing it for money. I, and, I, I, don't, uh, I don't like to say this, but uh, the con- the continue continuation authors tend to do that as well and i find it yeah, very yes. irritating that's true so it, that it, is that's not it's not restricted to fa- to fan fiction well how, in fact, I, I wonder I how much of it i was gonna say how much of it do you think is the writers showing that they know their bond yeah no i i i, I think it i think it is that and i think it's more excusable in fan fiction you know i, I think that's I'll, that's fine i'll but, give I'll give you one example. Kim Sherwood in her book, you know, there's a character named Bob Simmons. Yeah. Like, you know, that's obviously yeah. not, you know, not from literary bond. That's from movie bond, obviously. And there, uh, I haven't finished the book, but you know, there's, there's a bunch of that stuff in, in, in oh, her yeah. book. Yeah, some of bit, it works. Some of it, not so much. Yeah, it's a bit tedious. Uh, I find, yeah, it's just, uh... I mean, we're not here to critique that, but but David, your point, you know, that was suddenly flashed into my head was, you know, that book. So in, my own, in, yeah. go ahead. I, I was going to say, other than the the nanobot, <laughs> which yeah. the, the Irish sex robot, which I always remember. Apart from that, the only other, and the hang gliding being just a ludicrous setup for that infiltration of that base. Other than those, which could easily be fixed by making it something else, right? Yeah, um, like a, a bungee rope, <laughs> <laughs> right? Just like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, just like that. <laughs> um, the only other issue I have with this screenplay is that the main Bond girl, Connie Webb, disappears for like an hour in the middle of the film. Yeah, I, I think that's one yeah. of the things. One of the notes at the end, isn't it? That uh, it's a criticism of the script. But you could, yeah. But, I mean, but you she could gets fix. captured. You could get, she she could escape, right? Yeah. And uh, go do something else and meet up with Bond later, and da 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 da. They could fix that. Well, right? or or you could like cut back and like show her being tortured, like you know, just remind right. the audience, hey, Connie, Connie's still a character in this movie, and well, you know, she does whatever. she does witness she does witness Henry chasing Bond in the car and then losing, and then like, good job, James, kind of thing, and then yeah. before the lawyer gets garbage disposal um but other than that she does disappear and yeah it, there's so there's handwriting on the scripts that we've got and it's very hard to decipher it right um but the notes that i can kind of make out allude to the fact that bond suspecting that connie's in on his plan isn't really there's it's a bit of a leap for bond to come to that conclusion i think is the notes kind of like, like we need to flesh out why he would think that um and have it play out for dramatic you know, purposes there is a movie kind of like trying to bust out of here i bust out yeah. the script and it might be a more science fictiony uh 
type story than what is normally with Bond. But again, Bond has always dabbled in science fiction, going back to Dr. No. Remember, the yeah. Dr. No was trying to bring down a, a rocket that was going to orbit the moon at that point. You know, that was six years before a rocket orbited the moon. Um, you know, I mean, there's always been an element of science fiction. There's, uh, let me correct that. There's often been an element of science fiction in Bond films. And, you know, it's like there's nothing in here with the exception of Nan the Robot, uh, that, you know, could have, you know, could have, you know, could have been handled, could have been a perfectly good Bond film. And the only other criticism I have is Me Wei's death is is not handled brilliantly. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very, uh, it, it's very, it's very sudden. And I, I guess I wasn't expecting her to die because of the character that she actually became on screen. Well, it's a very cheap death because they're basically sitting in the car ready to leave and then they get whacked by a missile and she's dead. Yeah. And, and it checks off a box. It checks off the uh, uh, sacrificial lamb box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just like, uh, I mean, it's going to read it. Mi Wei, still strapped to her seat in the overturned car, floats in her and life as Bond reaches out, grabbing her hair and pulls her face towards his. Um, eyes open, neck broken, obviously dead. Bond lets go of her hair and swims to the surface and uh, just buggers off and does his own thing. Like, there's no stage direction for, like, looks distraught or, or anything like that. It's just like, okay, fact, matter of fact, let's go, uh, got to carry on. You know what? That actually you know? reminds me of also of Tomorrow Never Dies, except when Bond revives Wei Lin underwater and gives her, you know, gives her the breath of life. Uh, right. it's, it's kind of a similar sort of setting. Except obviously she survives, but uh, yeah, it yeah it's it's kind of quick and yeah you, know, you could have you could have gotten more out of that. It could have been a lot more dramatic. Yeah, because other than that, there isn't a sacrificial lamb in the movie. No, right. That's that's what I mean. There, it's like oh, we gotta we gotta have a sacrificial lamb. Let's check off that box and yes, there she goes. Yeah, and and Bond doesn't really take Bond doesn't really get revenge on Rodin for that either because he just rode and kills himself by opening the elevator doors mm. and flooding himself. Right. So, so Bond, never, Bond never avenges her. It doesn't seem to care either. Well, right. And, and the audience doesn't get the satisfaction of knowing right. that he, you know, that Bond got him. Right. He's you know, just because, assumed to be drowned. Right. Because again, with uh, four year eyes only when Bond kicks the car off the cliff, you know, you know that guy had killed um, uh, Ferrari, Luigi, Luigi, Luigi. Yeah, and and you know, and Bond drags the moment out. He tosses the little dove pin mm-hmm. into the car with the with the guy, and then he kicks the uh, car off. And that's a very satisfying moment. Bond has, you know, he he got the guy, and he and the guy knew he was getting him. You know, it's just. It, it was a lot more satisfying than what's described here. Yeah. I thought Connie was a good character, but she's, she's basically Pan Bouvier too. Yeah. And I think that would be something they would have to fix coming straight off to License to Kill, having basically a copycat Bond girl. Um, especially being ex-CIA. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty on the nose. Who's um, now freelance, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, there's some weird things like uh, it's being the 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 daughter of an another Henry is mentioned, and then he 
he comes into, I think, another version of this script at some point. But I think there's too, too many characters. Right. Like, you, you can lose the police sergeant at the start and make him Denim Crisp, and then you've got those bases covered, right? Um, right. Again, that goes back to the William Goldman thing about how you have to be careful not to have too many characters yeah. for the audience to follow. The sociopathic scientist, completely unnecessary in this. Um, I don't think you need a lead engineer. Um, Sir Henry would have companies making these things for him. Yeah, um, you, could, you could consolidate some. Uh, you could consolidate some characters. Maybe yeah. consolidate two or three into one. Um, you know, maybe yeah. just have Sir Henry have a lead henchman, and that's all you need. You know, so you, yeah, you could have condensed down Winkhart, the lawyer. Lombardi, the no time to die Russian scientist, and um, Crater Guy, all as one character, I think. Oh, crater Guy, <laughs> <laughs> or in this case, uh, water water pump guy. Water uh, pump. <laughs> Sorry, uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't know how you guys job. feel, but I could never see um, a movie being greenlit where the finale has Bond wading through sewers. But, uh, no. uh, but that's yeah, that's I, I, the pitch for Bond twenty six. Yeah. This time, Bond's going to go in the sewer. Finally, but but you know, um, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. What's the one with Henry Cavill in it? Is it Rogue Nation? Um, uh, maybe yeah. Henry Cavill and his mustache in it. They yeah. halo jump. They halo jump into the roof of a building so they're not detected. Right. Oh, yeah. That would have been the solution for this. Yeah. Um, also, the other way is maybe Q had some kind of tunneling device or something that um, they could have tunneled, like the mole in Thunderbirds, under the building or something else. But um, they didn't. I don't think using the sewers was necessary <laughs> to get un- undetected into the building. This time, Bond's oh. really in the shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or maybe kind of like Lim Dalek's where they go through the scrubbing pig. It could have been some scuba through the water inlet or something, right? Um, they could have but, fixed that. Because there's no way the studio would have greenlit stills from the movie with like right. poo hanging off his face. Yeah. It's just not going to happen, is it? By the way, Henry Cavill was in Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout, than, sorry. Rather than those people. Well, it's like hard to keep track of him. It's hard uh, for me to uh, keep track of him. I had to look uh, it up. Our friends at the CIC podcast are probably throwing things at their iPhone right now. Um, so sorry, guys. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And also the other movie where uh, Henry Cavill had his mustache was, that was barely erased. <laughs> the, uh, the Superman movie, Justice League. <laughs> like the beginning, which is like, oh, it's like I can see where the mustache was. Not very convincing. So, yeah, I, th- I think the best one yet of the unmades that we've covered. And um, we should do a follow up on there. The 1991 version, maybe as a little mini episode in the future. Um, yeah. Talking about the differences. I'm up for it. But uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's safe to say gold, nice pre-titles, most, if not all of tomorrow never dies and bits of specter. This movie lives on. This yeah. unmade movie lives on in those films. Um, and I think, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it would have been better as his own movie <laughs> than been bits in those ones. You know, I would, I would really like to see the uh, Eon script vault where it's like, you know, like, okay, 
obviously they would have like the complete drafts, but do they like break them down by ideas? So is there like a chart ideas we can use in future movies and just like list them? Like I'm speculating obviously, but uh, you know, but I mean, clearly de facto there's something, some mechanism like that because they keep, I mean, you know, there's a bit from uh, Mankiewicz's uh, Live and Let Die draft that shows up in uh, GoldenEye, that whole business where Bond makes contact with a CIA con- uh, CIA agent and, like, he does a recognition code and the CIA right, agent, right. you know, doesn't, doesn't want to go for it and then, like, Bond draws <laughs> a gun on him and, like, you know, Mankiewicz did that in Live and Let Die. And then, like, you know, decades later, 20 years later, it shows up in GoldenEye. They they never who, throw anything away. No, who, well, know, yeah, who, know, who knows what from the John Hodge Danny Boyle Bond twenty five script? Yeah. Oh my god, we may see in the future. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All right. The mental image of this movie I have, other than the sex Irish sex robot lady, <laughs> is um, just Bond wading through poo. With a Scottish a Scottish Jack Wade swigging whiskey, while um, well, well, Q's back in his hotel room in tears. That's right, Brian is crying balling his eyes out. Um, and it would also be interesting to see what kind of robots they would have come up with through the special effects houses in the early nineties versus mm. what's available now to compare and contrast. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I can't help but think of that. Well, I've only, I can't believe it's taken us almost two hours in this podcast to remember that there is a security droid in San Francisco now, isn't there? Yes. That looks like an R2-D2 or a trash can that goes yeah. around giving people tickets or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have sex with anybody that we know of. That we know of. <laughs> I don't know. I was, was going to make a comment about San Francisco and anything goes. But um, on, on that bombshell, um, thank you very much, Bill, David, and we'll see you again Thanks, next time. James, good talking to you. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Teach me how